On this week's episode of the podcast, I've got topics including Pac-Man 99 now being available on the Nintendo Switch online subscription service, music topics including Taylor Swift's Fearless album being re-released, Carrie Underwood's My Savior event this past Sunday morning on Facebook, ACM award nominations, some NCAA tournament discussion, One Tree Hill, nine years since that show wrapped up, and I'm gonna talk about that. And of course, the week of Big Brother Canada 9. Nintendo had a very cool video game release yesterday as Pac-Man 99 is now available on the Nintendo Switch Online subscription service. Basically, Pac-Man 99 is... It's the Pac-Man you know and love, but times like 500 million as far as intensity. It's a battle royal style of Pac-Man to where it's very similar if you're familiar with any of the other, some of the other games, like you've got Tetris 99 and you've got Super Mario 35 to where it's you, it's like a battle royal style game where you compete against a bunch of other players and you basically invade everybody's games to where you can send things to the other players to mess with them and make their game harder. And you can do the same thing to other players. It's very, very cool. So I played Pac-Man 99 last night. I actually spent way more time playing that game than I anticipated playing because I was really having such a fun time playing it. Um, So basically, to try to explain it, you can have... You have all kinds of difficulties that you've got in the game to where, you know, you're going through and you're trying to do your thing in your game. But what you can do, you can send jammer Pac-Mans, which is something that you will be sent to other players' screens, which when they touch it and they eat it like they would normally any ghost, it's going to slow them down. And that's something that they can send to you. You can also turn like all the ghosts into a train almost and you can gobble them up in a line. That's really, really cool and really fun. And it's just really fun. It's like you try to knock out the other players and try to move up and try to win against everybody. I think the highest I got last night was, I think I got up to eighth at one point before I lost. And that was way better. I think otherwise I was doing, I don't know, I think I was getting in the 30s and 40s, I think. It's kind of how I was doing. But it's a very, very cool game. And, you know, if if you're not familiar with Nintendo Switch's online service, with their subscription service, I mean, it's only $20 a year. And they open up the classic vault, too, to where... They've got a lot of NES games up there, a lot of SNES games, and you can play those. I mean, it's it's $20 a year. It's really a great price for what you get. And it's like I said last night, because um, I was running on a free subscription, because I got a Nintendo Switch a few months ago. So I was running on a free subscription, a free trial of this, and it expired. And then this came through. I was like, oh yeah, I didn't. I didn't subscribe. I was meaning to do that. And so I thought, well, I'll jump in that. By the end of the night, I'd played that, and then I played some Tetris 99, and I played some classic NES games, and I thought, you know what? Tonight, I've gotten my $20 worth. I mean, it's like the Pac-Man 99, that's something you could definitely see like paying $20 for in itself. So I mean, it really, it's really a bargain service if you just want to play some fun things now, like current stuff. But if you want to play, especially if you want to play some old stuff, yeah, I'm going to go through. I'm just going to kind of hit some highlights of some games that, because uh, you may be wondering, well, what's up there? What do they have up there as far as like the classic games? Well, I'm going to tell you. So here in the Nintendo Switch and the NES Classic Games, they've got 80-plus games is what they're promoting on here. Uh, Super Mario Brothers 1, 2, and 3, Legend of Zelda 1, Zelda 2, Metroid, Donkey Kong, Kirby's Adventure, Kid Icarus, 
Uh, let's see, Ghost and Goblins, Pro Wrestling, Ice Hockey, Ninja Gaiden. I'm not hitting every one of them. I'm just kind of jumping around. Punch Out, Excite Bike, Volleyball, Donkey Kong 3, uh, Tennis, Dr. Mario, Double Dragon, Tecmo Bowl, Baseball, Super Dodgeball, uh, Kung Fu Heroes, uh, just kind of hitting some highlights, Yoshi, Blaster Master, Donkey Kong Jr., and I mean, that's not even close to all the games they've got available on the NES side. Now we're going to jump over here to the SNES side, and I'll run through some of the stuff they've got on here. Uh, Super Mario World, Super Mario Kart, Super Mario World 2, Yoshi's Island, Legend of Zelda, Link to the Past, which is one of my favorite games of all time. That's a really awesome game that I never actually beat when I was younger. I got to a point in that game that I never could get past. I never did beat that game. But it's such an awesome game. It was just a thing of beauty at the time. Uh, well, it still is. I mean, it still is. They've even actually made another game that's basically the sequel, you know, to where it's based off the same look and everything of that game, which I really ought to check that out, too. I think I'd enjoy that. Super Metroid, Star Fox, Donkey Kong Country, F-Zero, Kirby's Dream Land 3, uh, Super Tennis, Super Punch-Out, uh, what else we got here, Stunt Race, FX, Brawl Brothers, Smash Tennis, a bunch of Donkey Kong games, Star Fox 2, Mario Kart, I don't know if I said Mario Kart before, Super Goals and Ghost, um, yeah, just a ton of stuff. There's a lot of stuff in here. And, I mean, it's $20 a month. And, like I said, last night, uh, I felt like I got my $20 worth. That's kind of how I looked at it, too. You know, as far as putting out $20 a year for this, I thought, you know, if I just even played seven days throughout the year, that's worth 20 bucks for me. You know, even if I didn't play every day or every week or something, you know, if I just sporadically was like, I just want to play some video games tonight, you know, and I just jumped in there and did that. If I just did that, just say seven times a year, that's worth $20 to me. You just have all these classic games, you know, right in front of you. And then of course you've got the new stuff in there too, that you can play. And I just, I really love my Nintendo switch. It's really, it was really a great buy. Um, if you haven't gotten one, I recommend it, especially if you love like old school Nintendo, but if you love new school Nintendo, there's a lot of good stuff coming out. There's a lot of cool games I would love to check out. That's just really awesome. Uh, looks like they do a free seven day trial for what I can tell if you just want to jump in and try it out. So but yeah, it's very cool. I actually played a little bit of Excite Bike last night. I was just, after I got done playing uh, Pac-Man and Tetris, I just kind of wanted to jump around and just play something real, like quick and simple on uh, like the classic games. And I jumped in and I played a little Mario, played a little bit of that, but then it's like I hadn't played Excite Bike in a long time, so I just jumped in there and played that, and that was fun. I hadn't played it in so long. It was kind of like a reminder of what that game was was like because it had been so long. But yeah, if you want to check out Pac-Man 99, is awesome. It's a lot of fun. It's pretty intense. It's really cool. And you, and you learn kind of your strategies and kind of how to kind of combat all this coming to you. Because I thought, and what was funny is there's times where I thought I had it figured out. I'm like, okay. This is how to do it. This is how to win. This is how to play. And then I figured out something better. You know, there was another way of doing things where I was like, well, let me try this. And then that started working. And that was a better strategy. So it's just a really fun game. These Battle Royal style games are very popular. So this is the latest from on the Pac-Man series with uh, what you can play. So yeah, check that out. It's up on Nintendo Switch's online subscription service.
The 56th annual ACM Awards will be broadcast on CBS Sunday, April 18th at 7 p.m. Central Time. It is going to be like last year's award show, where it is going to take place from three different venues there in Nashville between the Grand Ole Opry House, the Ryman Auditorium, and the Bluebird Cafe. They have released the nominees, of course. I'm just going to go over these nominees and talk about them. Up for Entertainer of the Year, it is between, it's all men here, kind of disappointed in that because I like getting these women in there, but Entertainer of the Year, Luke Bryan, Eric Church, Luke Combs, Thomas Rhett, Chris Stapleton. Uh, Female Artist of the Year, Kelsey Ballerini, Miranda Lambert, Ashley McBride, Maren Morris, Carly Pierce. For male art of the our male artist of the year, easy for me to say, Dirks Bentley, Eric Church, Luke Combs, Thomas Rhett, Chris Stapleton. That is the same. No, it's not quite the same list from Entertainer of the Year. The only one different is Dirks Bentley is in this one, and who's out? I'm trying to figure out who is out. It's Luke Bryan. Luke Bryan is not. In, that's kind of weird. That's kind of strange when. They're kind of not in the same categories. Like, what was what was Luke Bryan, like, why was he able to get an Entertainer of the Year but can't get in Male Artist of the Year? That's kind of strange. I don't know. Uh, award show thinking. It's kind of bizarre. Duo of the Year, Brooks and Dunn, Brothers Osborne, Dan and Shay, Florida Georgia Line, and Maddie and Tay. Man, Maddie and Tay, the only females in there. Go Maddie and Tay. I love Maddie and Tay. Group of the Year, Lady A, Little Big Town, Old Dominion, The Cadillac 3, and High Women. New Female Artist of the Year, Ingrid Andress, Tennille Arts, Gabby Barrett, Mickey Guyton, Kaylee Hammock. New Male Artist of the Year, Jimmy Allen, Travis Denning, Hardy, Cody Johnson, Peter McCollum. Album of the Year is going to be between Luke Bryan, Kane Brown, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, and Chris Stapleton. Single of the Year, Bluebird, Miranda Lambert, I Hope, Gabby Barrett, I Hope You're Happy Now, Carly Pierce and Lee Bryce, More Hearts Than Mine, Ingrid Andress, and The Bones, Maren Morris. Those are all five very popular songs. I hear all those on the radio quite a bit. I think Bluebird, that is probably my most favorite song that Miranda Lambert's put out in a while. I think that's, uh, it's just got a, just a very catchy tune i really like that the guitar in it is really cool in that chorus part i really like that and i hope gabby barrett that song has been everywhere for the last year so i feel like that one's gonna be pretty hard to beat the bones Marin morris that song's been jumping that's been jumping over to the pop radio side too i've been hearing that a lot on there so i feel like it's going to be between Maren Morris and Gabby Barrett there. I feel like that's, as far as popular songs, I don't know. That's kind of, feels like those are the two front runners for me. Song of the Year, Bluebird, Miranda Lambert, One Night Standards, Ashley McBride, Some People Do, Old Dominion, Starting Over, Chris Stapleton, and The Bones, Maren Morris. Uh, video of the Year, Better Than We Found It, Maren Morris, Bluebird, Miranda Lambert, Gone, Dirks Bentley, Hallelujah, Carrie Underwood, and John Legend, Worldwide Beautiful, Kane Brown. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's your uh, categories there for some of the ACM awards there. So, again, that is going to be on... Sunday, April 18th at 7 p.m. Central Time on CBS. This past Sunday morning, Carrie Underwood did her Easter morning live performance show of My Savior that took place exclusively on Facebook Live, broadcast from the Ryman Auditorium in downtown Nashville, Tennessee. show ran about 55 minutes. It was about, about that time. And she ran through, I believe she performed everything on that album, from what I remember. Uh, Just a beautiful show. The production looked amazing. Uh, Man, it was just, it was good for the soul, good for spirit. It was uh, good stuff. I enjoyed that a lot. And uh, the feedback's been really positive on it. She had several guests in there performing with her. And 
they just they made the ramen look really beautiful and just the like how they it wasn't just up her up on that stage you know they had her moving around where they had kind of the stage expanding kind of into the middle of the floor section there on the ramen to where sometimes she'd be out there and they'd flip the camera around to where it was like the balcony in the background and and other times she'd be up on the stage kind of in your normal normal stage view they had a choir at one point that was amazing the choir was awesome that was performing up in the balcony behind her it was just a very very cool performance and that album's doing very well it's hitting number one <laughs> on a lot of the charts so it is it's very awesome to see that thing being so successful and tonight is a big night for Taylor Swift, as this is the night of the re-release of Fearless, her blockbuster sophomore album that was released in 2008. This is the re-recorded version of this album. Of course, we know the story with the fallout that she's had with her record company, the battle over that she doesn't even own her own music, you know, and just all that drama that's been going on in that battle to where she just got to the point where she's going to re-record all of her old albums and put her own new twist on a lot of her old music. So this is the first one. This is Fearless that's going to be coming out. Of course, she's all over the place like promoting this. And this morning on GMA, she released just a little snippet of Fearless, like the title track. And... It's it's a little different that that one there it just it just sounded just the slightest bit different just the little snippet that they put out but it's mostly it really sounded the same if if you're familiar with the song like I am and like many are you can just tell it's just the slightest bit different you know of course but it sounds sounds really awesome and of course she put love story out mostly love story sounded the same there's parts of it to where it sounded different and you can feel like the new version. So I think that's really cool. I'm really excited to hear how she does this. It's like, does she kind of stick to most of them sounding the same as the original tracks or does she kind of modernize them? You know, it's and mostly what I've heard so far is mostly that she's sticking more with how they were. But I even love just the little parts, like the little things that you pick up to where it's like, oh, that little lyric there just sounds a little bit different. And it sounds fresh, you know? It's like you're so used to hearing how it's been. So it's really cool to kind of hear it, like with a new fresh spin on it. And I think this is going to be really fun. I'm really excited to listen to this re-recorded album and to hear how she does it and one thing that I really like too is this makes it even better is that it's not just like you're like buying the same album again you know it's not like you're just going out there it's like oh here's the same songs that were on Fearless I'm getting the same stuff no she's actually dug into her vault and she's added I don't know is there maybe seven or eight songs I don't know somewhere around that that she's never released and that are going to be on this album which is really cool because when I saw the title track I guess it was a week ago two weeks ago or something to where I think it was last week she released like some a video that was very coded and basically said all right all you fans decode this and see what's see what these clues are on this album so of course I watched the video and I'm just like I, I've got nothing in my brain from 2020 mentality and 2021 of just world fatigue <laughs> with the pandemic and everything I'm just like I'm too tired I'm gonna let I'm gonna let these uh these Taylor Swift fans I'm gonna let these hardcores have at it let them I was like, they will probably have this thing decoded in like 20 minutes. It's <laughs> like, I'm just going to sit back and let them do their magic and just let them figure this out. And of course they did. They had it out and, you know, they were deciphering it and it's really cool. And I love that she does that. Is that something just really fun. It's a way for her to like connect to her fan base and have fun with them and they have fun. And she's just very interactive like that. And I think that's very cool. And of course, later that day, I think it was later that day, she released the full title track to that album. 
And I was looking at that list and I'm like, this is way more songs than was on that. What's up with that? What's going on? And then, of course, saw that there's going to be a lot of unreleased material on that. My next question was, okay, what era is this? Is this going to be just, is this new stuff? Or is it like that era? And it's Fearless era stuff. So there's going to be a lot of songs on here that's going to be released on this new version of the album that was never released. And it's from that era. And she's already put out uh, Mr. Perfectly Fine. She put out that video, like the the lyric video of that. That was very cool. So, and that's that sounds very Fearless era. Like that song sounds very Fearless era. It's awesome. And she has also put out You All Over Me, which is featuring Marin Morris. That was a cool surprise. So and then there's another song on here, That's When, which is going to be with Keith Urban. So... Yeah, I mean, you're not just going to get the same stuff here. It's not just going to be a straight-up re-record, like a reimagining of these songs. You're getting a lot of bonus stuff. So I am very excited to see what this, what it's like, what this album is like. I'm pretty pumped to listen to this, and that's one of my favorite Taylor Swift albums. I really like Fearless, so I really like that era of her, too, so... But by the time you listen to this podcast, that's going to be up and available for you to download, buy, however you do your music. Check it out. I'm very excited because that's, uh, I've really liked what I've heard of this. When I heard Love Story, I was like, oh, I like that. I like what she's done with Love Story. So I'm very interested to hear the rest of this because there was a lot of hits off that album. So... Yeah, it's you're going to be hearing a lot about this probably in the mainstream here in the coming days of this re-release. So yeah, Fearless, Taylor's version, out now. The NCAA tournament is a wrap. And I finished second in my tournament pool. <laughs> if Gonzaga had pulled it out, I would have finished in a tie for first place in my tournament pool, but finished second. Uh, Gonzaga, like with the picks, that just seemed like that's what most people were. It was like, I think the strategy either with Gonzaga, it was either like, hey, they're undefeated. They're probably going to win the whole thing. Why not pick the undefeated team? Or the other strategy was pick the field, (laughs) you know, to basically say there's no way they go undefeated and win. I think that's probably the two different strategies that were going on with uh, tournament picking this year. Uh, but Baylor, your national champions with uh, beating Gonzaga 86-70 to in a surprisingly blowout game in the championship game. I had the game on and I was looking up and all of a sudden, I think it was like 9-1, to in the first few minutes, I thought, well, okay, and was not expecting that, and I expected Gonzaga to kind of get going, and they just really never did, and Baylor just blew them out. It was really surprising. Of course, the story of Gonzaga is that incredible Final Four game against UCLA uh, with the went into overtime, and of course, Gonzaga with the buzzer beater to win, to advance to the national championship game, which was just insane to watch. It was such a great game. You know, I really thought UCLA was done with just like a few minutes left because Gonzaga went up by like five points with what, a minute and a half to go or something like that, or two minutes. I don't know what it was, but I thought, eh, that's probably going to be the dagger to where they just uh, put them away finally. And then UCLA crawled back and then tied the game with just a few seconds left. And I thought, well, we're definitely going to double overtime here. And then Gonzaga comes down and just nails this awesome three-pointer to uh, to win the game and just full celebration. And I just busted out laughing when the shot went in because it was just typical March Madness. Just such typical March Madness goodness, you know, <laughs> where that shot went in. I just busted out laughing. Like, of course that shot went in because it's like, you know, 
hello March Madness, never change, <laughs> you know, and it was just a really good tournament all around, a lot of crazy stuff going on, I really felt like that's what was going to happen, because it, with it being in a bubble, I couldn't really figure out if being in a bubble was going to help the teams, like the underrated teams, or if it was going to hurt them. Because with the NBA playoffs last year, when they were in the bubble, it felt like it was more even because you didn't have home court advantage and everything. It felt like there were more kind of the underseeded teams kind of pushing back on the top seeded more in the NBA playoffs down the bubble with no fans and everything. And you're just showing up in the same location every time. So there's no there's no home court advantage at all. You know, even if you just didn't have fans, if you're just going into your building, there's no switching buildings. So they were playing in the same atmosphere every time. So it just seemed like really there was momentum was a strange thing in the NBA playoff bubble because it I don't know if it felt like there was any <laughs> or if it was just so all over the place. I don't know. It, it was really hard to describe at NBA playoff bubble. But with the NCAA, I didn't know how that would play with some of the underseeded teams because you have, you know, a lot of times, I, a lot of times with the tournament, you have, when, when these teams play in some of these locations, you've got fans that are there because they just want to see four games. You know, they're just there to watch a bunch of games. They're not, they're not aligned with any of them. They just want to watch basketball. Then you have your teams that travel with their fans. You know, the fans come in, they travel wherever they go. You have those fans, and then then you've got the fans, you know, like I said, that are there for their team, but they're there to watch the other games too. And what happens a lot of times is when these upset teams start getting on a roll, you get the building that's not, if you're not with that team, that top-seeded team, and one of these upset teams going on, they win the building. Like, the rest of the building, all the fans of the other teams, or if you're just there, or whatever, they jump behind the upset team because they want to see the upset. They want to see the underdog win. And a lot of times, that turns into home court advantage for, for the low seed because... You know, it's they want to see the top seeded team get beat. So I didn't know how this bubble was going to affect the tournament. In my mind, I felt like it was going to be crazy because you're not going to have a lot of noise. It felt like there was going to be a lot of kind of even par, so to speak. And it kind of felt like that played out because we saw a lot of crazy upsets in this tournament, a lot of low-seeded teams making runs, and that's what I really felt like was going to happen. But then it's so crazy, after everything that went down with all these upsets, we still get to the championship game, and we had two number ones. That just made me laugh. It's like, after all this craziness that's happened, we still ended up with two number one seeds in the championship game. Just crazy how that worked out. This is a very fun tournament to watch, and you know a lot of people are just hyping that Final Four game as just one of the greatest games ever. It was a lot of fun. I was kind of in and out, kind of watching, watching it off and on, and as it got further along, I started paying closer attention to it. And the championship game, I didn't watch a lot of the championship game because it was such a blowout. I just kind of kept coming back to it and checking it out, seeing if it was getting any closer but yeah, Baylor just came in there and just rocked Gonzaga just right from the opening tip and won the national championship. But yeah, it was a very, very crazy tournament. And, you know, there was a lot going on, a lot of memories and a lot of moments in tournament history were definitely made in the 2021 NCAA tournament. few TV notes here. Kung Fu opened up on the CW. 1.4 million total viewers for that show. It was the largest audience in that Wednesday night time slot in two and a half years for the CW. So that was a big, strong 
debut for Kung Fu there on CW. I know, I know they're thrilled with those numbers. Let's see how it goes from here and how their numbers are. I am so far behind on my CW shows. <laughs> it's like I have started watching The Flash. I've watched uh, the season premiere of this current season. I started watching that. And it was so crazy watching that episode because there was such a long break between, because of the way the pandemic played into, you know, wrecking havoc on production and everything with these shows. Uh, there was such a huge break in between the season premiere and last season's finale that it premiered. And I watched, and of course, at the beginning, they had, you know, the recap of the finale basically like you know here's here's what you missed and i'm watching that and i go there's a lot of this i don't even remember and it just goes to show just how big that break was because uh, i just felt so clueless it was so weird because i was watching it saying oh my goodness i forgot about this i forgot about that there's still parts of that season premiere that I was like, I don't even remember how that turned out because it's been so long. It's like, I need to go back because I was laughing at the top saying, man, I need to be hooked up with like a more in-depth <laughs> recap here because my brain has completely checked out on uh, trying to remember some of the happenings of that. I wasn't as crazy about last, the end of last season, the back end of last season of The Flash. Of course, I know that you know, the ending of that season didn't get to play out because they had to shorten it because of the pandemic. So really, from what I've understood, they took kind of the end of last season and basically just shoved it over into the beginning of this season to kind of play that storyline out. I wasn't really that crazy about the Flash season post-crisis. I didn't really care for it as much i just wasn't as crazy about like the overall like big bad kind of play for the back end of the season i like the first half of the season but as we led up to crisis but i wasn't as crazy about the back end so maybe seeing how it plays out maybe i'll get a little more into it but that was kind of i think because the flash i've been pretty strong on throughout that's really kind of the first time through the whole run of the flash to where I've been kind of like, eh, you know, with kind of the storyline that was playing up. So curious to see how the rest of it plays up. But man, I, after that first episode, I thought, Oh my goodness, I need like a stronger recap because my brain does not remember a lot of these things that have happened. And it, wow. It was, it was really kind of stunning. <laughs> Because I just thought, I don't remember this. I do not remember this. But I've got to get caught up on Supergirl. It's it's up and running. I've got to get going on that. Get caught up on all the Flash. So get going on my Arrowverse stuff. One Tree Hill. This past week was nine years since the finale of that show ran. And of course I saw a lot of anniversary stuff of that popping up online. I love One Tree Hill, one of my favorite shows of all time. And I mean, as far as series finales go, I think One Tree Hill might be my favorite series finale ever. I thought that at the time. It just, it felt good. Everything wrapped up really well. It just went out on a good note. It just, and it felt like a One Tree Hill episode. You know, it just felt like everything that made that show great was in that finale, whether it was like the characters or the music, you know, the, just everything, you know, it was just, it was really, it was a perfect finale for me. I really loved it. Of course we had, you know, the previous year, uh, they, the season finale of the previous year, they actually wrote that, to where it could have been a season finale or a series finale. Because at that point, they didn't know if they were coming back. They didn't know if they were going to get brought back for another season. So they actually wrote the previous year's finale 
to be a series finale if it was needed to be. And when I watched that, I thought, yeah, okay, this this could be a good finale too. If this if this had have been it, it would have been okay. But not like this one. The the series finale, man, I can't even compare those two. Like the other season finale was good, but it wouldn't have felt like the actual series finale did because I loved it. It was perfect. I have a tradition to where I watch that finale every year because I just, I love it so much. It was just so well written and it's just good. You know, it's just good. The music that was in it, it's just everything that was strong about One Tree Hill is in that series finale. And I just loved it. I loved the final scene. I loved how they transitioned it. And just really good stuff. So that was nine years ago was when that wrapped up. Of course, One Tree Hill launched in 2003. That's right, 2003. Um, I was, of course, this was back and I watched the premiere. I was at work. This is when I was working nights at work. And course it was just me there so I would watch a lot of tv at night you know because there's just kind of babysitting things with the job I had just kind of sitting around so a lot of times the tv was kind of my entertainment at the time and uh I watched One Tree Hill I watched the premiere of it of course I loved loved the WB it was glued to the WB for years Dawson's Creek had actually ended that year that spring and it was just so disappointing because Dawson's Creek is also one of my favorite shows of all time. And I was like, oh my goodness, you know, it's like, what are we going to do without this show now? And when One Tree Hill premiered, and of course it was shot in the same place, Wilmington, <laughs> same city that Dawson's Creek was recorded, filmed, was uh, One Tree Hill, Dawson's Creek, same place. It, to me, it felt like, this is this is my Dawson's Creek replacement here. That's what it felt like to me. It was the same style of show. They had the music brought in. The characters, it just had such a similar such a similar style of show. They were very similar to one another. And I think that's what made it work so much for me right off the bat is that you know, I'm missing this show, and this show is so much like it. And like I said, it's shot in the same location. So it was really just perfect. It was perfect time to just slide over from one to the other. And I remember watching the pilot episode there at work that night. And I just thought it was such a great first episode to just hook you in. And of course, they pull you in on the Scott storyline family storyline with the basketball and the differences between the two sons and how they have to deal with uh, with the dad, you know, and with Nathan and Lucas. So and then to Dan, <laughs> and Dan Scott, you know, like one of the biggest villains of all time TV. <laughs> you know, he is one of the biggest villains of like all time TV for me. He's a, he's such a just villain character. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's an awesome show. And that from that one, that one night, that final scene there on that river court hooked me. It's like when, uh, when that, when that, I don't want to, I don't want to give it away for anybody that may not have seen it, but when that one moment happens in that final scene and they roll saliva in for that music, perfect. One of the most perfect scenes I've ever seen in TV just so good. It's somebody for me that just loves pulling music in to hit like the right scene. Man, just nailed it. It was so perfect. And of course, I was hooked from there. Watched it all the way to the end and got to the series finale. And like I said, it's One Tree Hill is my favorite series finale of all time. And I just I love it so much. I couldn't even tell you how many times I've watched it. And the commentary, if you've never watched uh, on the DVD box set that they've got of the final season, they do commentary on the final episode. And there's just so many good little details in there that they throw in. And just watching, 
like a lot of the cast members watch it too it's and uh them filling you in on a lot of things and them enjoying watching each other play their roles you know it's just very cool so yeah this was nine years since the one tree hill series finale that's one thing i saw being recognized a lot this week and man next year is going to be 10 i hope something cool can be done for maybe some fan conventions i just hope maybe some of the cast I don't know. Hopefully somebody's got some plans for, you know, kind of as a 10-year salute, you know, since that show wrapped up. If not, I hope maybe they'll get some plans in the works. You know, do something cool for uh, for this show amazingly being off the air for 10 years. That just blows my mind. I can't believe that's been 10 years since that show wrapped up. So let's talk about the week of Big Brother Canada 9. I don't really know how to recap this week. It's not going to be as as, uh, detailed with the episodes as it is in usual weeks because the show and the live feeds have been very different this week with the storylines that are going on. And this has been one criticism that there has been about Big Brother Canada over the years, and I've seen it myself with uh, seasons where I've really followed the live feeds close. And a lot of times you'll watch the show, and it's like, that's not what at all really happened on the live feed, you know, as it happened. And the edit didn't match what had happened. And of course, this happens in Big Brother US too. There's so many times Big Brother US to where I've watched the show. And, of course, I'm glued to the U.S. live feeds, and I'm like, this isn't at all how that happened, you know? And that happened a lot, but you see it quite a bit more kind of in Canada, especially, like, the last couple of seasons, there were moments to where the stories didn't match up. So, I don't really know how to recap this. It's I think I'm just going to kind of go over a general kind of recap and discussion just kind of on the week overall instead of really hitting all the points of the episodes and if you want the full recap of the craziness that has went on this week and I say craziness just well yeah there has been a lot of craziness because of the house meeting and everything else that went on and the back door and just all that went on go look up Rob has a podcast, RHAP, look them up on YouTube, hit their website, go to Taryn Armstrong, he does daily recaps of the live feeds every single morning, he's awesome, he has done an incredible job of recapping the week, and then also, you know, talking about the differences, you know, between the show edit and what has been going on in the live feeds, and of course Taryn's just awesome with the job he does with the daily recaps anyway if you can't stay around the live feeds you know he's he's your guy to go to he recaps all of it and details it and he's awesome so go see him man all right so this week this was the beth hoh week so with uh with that we immediately had her having to pick the have nots for the week and this set the tone for the week right away, which, I mean, this isn't this isn't rocket science anyway. When she's picking the have-nots, she says, I can't put my boys on slop. And, you know, just further even, like, putting the spotlight on that trio on the triangle. So she puts up Bray, Ro, Tina, and Tara on slop. So just more of a spotlight, you know, everybody knows that that's, that's a thing, that that's a trio. And it kind of, it rubs some people wrong, you know, to where, uh, just with the decision making on the slop that, you know, none of them wanted to volunteer or whatever. So we do get the info that Ty said that he threw a, he was wanting to throw HOH to Beth, but he didn't intend on throwing it that bad to where he's saying he was so bad in the competition, that he didn't intend on throwing it that badly. So the triangle talks nominations here. And of course, you know, we've had the triangle versus row. We've had that going on for a while. 
and the talk is of putting Roe up, and then if he comes down from the veto, put up Bray or Victoria. So Victoria walks in, she's asking for the nominations, and you know Beth talks about how she's struggling, trying to figure out what to do, but she's also got a plan here. She's wanting to go after Victoria, and the plan is to backdoor Victoria. So Tara's going to go up and talk to Beth, and she's saying, you know, I've been hearing my, I've been hearing my name, you know, is my name, am I going up? And Beth basically is saying, you know, the reason I'm considering putting you up is because people are coming to me and saying your name a lot to me. And so what ends up happening here, Beth says, yes, I'm going to be putting you up. You're not my target. You know, you are not my target. She also brings Roe to her Wendy's date and she says to him, hey, this is what's going to happen. You know, I have a target. It is not you. I have something way bigger than what I wanted. I have something way bigger this week that I want to do with a game move and it has, it's not involving you. And Roe knows immediately. He's saying, so the bigger thing is Victoria. And Beth's like, that does not leave this room. That stays in this room of what I'm wanting to do. So, and then Roe agrees to it. You know, he's saying, look, you know, if putting me on the block is what you need to make your plan happen, then do it. And so that's that's how this works out, you know. And Beth goes to Jed, and she's talking about her plan with of Victoria. Now, here's where the conflict happens. I say conflict, but it was kind of low-key conflict. But, of course, it was up for debate a lot through the week, and we're going to get there. But here's the deal, and what Beth is talking to Ty and Jed about is that she's saying, look, I know Roe is the better move for you guys, but Victoria is the better move for me. You guys have a relationship with Victoria. I do not. And you guys are battling with Roe. Roe is the better option for you. And that's what was argued through, you know, a lot. I say argued. I don't want to make it sound like it was like heated or anything. It was debated. Let's put it that way. They were discussing it, trying to figure out what to do. <clears throat> so, so what ends up happening is, you know, the plan goes in place. She puts up Roe. She puts up Tara. And again, her target is Victoria. So we get to the veto competition. Veto is won again by Roe. This is three vetoes in a row that he has won. So again, pulls himself off the block. Here comes the blind side. Victoria goes up on the nomination block. And she's blindsided. Well, okay. She's kind of blindsided. Here's a moment that happened this week on the live feeds. This has not been, this is not aired. At one point, Victoria starts to get a feeling that she's going to get blindsided with a back door. The reason that she feels like she's going to get blindsided with a back door and it's starting to get in her head a little bit is that production asked her a question in the DR for the show that put that kind of in her head to where she's like, oh, I'm, am I getting backdoored here? So at one point, she she mentions this. Oh, well, let's go back to the, well, of course, with okay, with the veto, Victoria's up on the block. You know, afterwards, she's like, oh my goodness, what in the world? And you saw that on the TV show. She's blindsided, all that. But she gets to the point where she's talking about it, and they say, did you have any, did you have any idea and she said, yeah, I had, I had an idea because Bananas asked me about it. What is Bananas? Well, Bananas is the code word that the house is using to talk about production. So whenever, because here's the thing with Big Brother, you are not allowed to talk about production. If you're <laughs> Big Brother US, you are very familiar with hearing that specific line. Whenever, in Big Brother U.S., whenever somebody talks about production, 
immediately over the house, there's a played message. You are not allowed to talk about production. And in the in Big Brother U.S., they let them get away with it. They just, pretty much the house guest in Big Brother U.S. can just do whatever and get away with anything. Like, we've had house guests lately that have been not supposed to be eating regular food. They're supposed to be on slop. They get away with it. They openly defy it, and they just let them let it go. You know, they don't do anything with it. It's, it's very frustrating at times to where, just in general, how, you know, Big Brother doesn't kind of put a stop to some of the, like, the back talk a lot of times. Big Brother Canada, since the very beginning in season one, they don't put up with it. They don't put up with the back talk, and they put up, they don't put up with, like, any kind of, like, rule-breaking Nothing. They will hammer you and they will hammer the house. So what ends up happening here is she says that. She says, Bananas asked me a question. And, of course, they come over like, you're not allowed to talk about production, blah, 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 you know. And so later in the day, we find out there's there's this shot. There's a picture that goes around, that has went around on Big Brother Twitter of the pantry with a bunch of bananas sitting in the pantry alone on the shelf. And basically what ended up happening was Big Brother punished the whole house and put everybody on slop and they left bananas in the pantry. That's funny. That's pretty funny. You know, that was them uh, laying down the line laying down the law on it. Now, at the, same, at the same point, why are you asking questions? You know, it's at the same time, why are you asking questions on this? Because she, she knew because you were asking questions about a back door or whatever ended up, whatever the question was that she got asked. So, I mean, at the same point, you know, it's like, well, you guys put yourselves in that position in the first place because you were asking questions and you got it in her head. So, but it's pretty funny that I, that's one thing I've always liked about Big Brother Canada is that they just don't put up with this nonsense. Whenever somebody back talks, they break rules, whatever, they will hammer you and they will hammer the whole house as punishment. So, you're not the only one that's going to take punishment. So, yeah, so that's one thing that really happened there. So basically what's happened here is Victoria got nailed for playing the middle. She was playing the middle of the house openly, very sloppy, very sloppy gameplay while she was playing the middle and she got caught. And so we end up at one point we end up having a house meeting. And this was on the feeds. I watched this because everybody's just everybody was waiting for this house meeting to happen because it was probably going to be a lot of lot going on. And I don't remember what morning this was. Was it Tuesday morning, Monday morning? I don't remember which it was. But anyway, everybody's like feeds are going crazy. <laughs> so I jumped on the live feeds, watched the house meeting. It was just a lot of shouting, a lot of back and forth. Everybody pointing fingers, everybody lying. Uh, at one point, Victoria, well, at one point, even the oddballs was called out. Tara called out the oddballs alliance and outed that thing. And of course, Victoria's denying that. And they're just like, you even named it. And Victoria's like, I didn't name that. What a stupid name that is. I wouldn't name something. What, who would name something so stupid like that? She was the one that named the alliance. <laughs> she was the one that named the oddballs. It was Victoria. So that was a funny moment. But it was just a lot of back and forth and a lot of just a lot of outing that was going on. I don't know if anything was really accomplished. I I felt I don't know. It seemed like in the house people were I think with the oddballs being called out, I think people in the house thought it kind of helped Victoria, the house meeting. To me, watching I just thought she was digging herself deeper, is what I thought, just as a viewer watching. But it's also, I've just watched Victoria just play so sloppy. You know, I mean, she's been great TV. She's great TV. But she's so sloppy, especially even 
as somebody that's been in power a lot. Even when she's in power, she's so sloppy because she she just plays the middle and spreads information and just stirs chaos so much, you know. So we get to tonight, which is a double eviction, by the way. The announcement happens that jury also starts tonight, so everybody being evicted tonight is going to be the first members on jury. We get to the votes, no surprise, 6-0 to zero vote with Victoria being voted out. The votes to evict her were Braden, Tina, Roe, Ty, Keith, and Jed. They were the ones that were the 6-0 to vote her out. And even in her eviction interview, she's, she was very self-aware in a lot of the things that she was saying. You know, because Arissa asked her, is this karma for what happened with the... Uh, with the ones you've gotten evicted so far and especially pointing out Austin because, you know, Victoria learned, she's like, I'll, you know, Austin actually wasn't coming for me after all. And I, you know, got her kicked out. So this probably was, <laughs> you know, coming back at me for uh, what I did. So Victoria's out. We go to the double eviction portion of the program here HOH competition happens. It's a question competition. It's a before and after. Kiefer, there's five questions. Kiefer goes five for five here, and he's HOH. And he's making all kinds of facials, and he's pumped. So pretty well know where Kiefer's going here. He's ready to knock out Roe. He puts Roe and Braden up on the block. Can... Row once again win veto and save himself. It's a maze veto to where you've got to drag your sword through a maze. You've got to keep dragging it through this maze puzzle and try to get your sword all the way to the end to where you will win. Ty wins the veto. So Row's winning streak is over and you can see it all over his face. He's like, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. This is, this is my game. Um, it's over. And we see the pitches afterwards to where Roe talks to, Roe and Bray both talk to uh, to Ty separately, you know, making their pitch. You know what Ty's going to do. He's not going to use it. And we, we all know who's going home here. Uh, it ends up being a 5-0 to zero vote. Roe is voted out. The votes to evict were Beth, Jed, Tara, Tina, and Ty. So five to zero vote, Roe is voted out. So that gets us down to the final seven. We, the feeds have come back. No spoiler here. We do not have an HOH yet. They have not had the HOH competition for the next one. So crazy week in the Big Brother house just with, we knew when Victoria, when the back door on Victoria was coming up, that it was going to be a thing. Oh, and also I want to bring up, I told you I'd get back to this. So the triangle was they were back and forth for days trying to figure out whether to take out Tara or Victoria. Like multiple times a day, they would have conversations of, well, what should we do? What should we do? We do this. Okay, we're doing this. We're doing this. Okay. And then somebody would bring up some more information or somebody would talk to them and be like, well... Maybe we need to revisit this. Are we making the right move? I think we're doing the wrong move. Let's, okay, maybe we should rethink this. Let's do this. Okay, we're doing this. Okay, yep, yep, this is it. We're going to do it. Well, <laughs> this went on for days to where it was making people, making Big Brother fans lose their mind. Uh, Taron Armstrong, one of his live feed updates, he had lost his sanity <laughs> with watching this. He ran it on it for a good couple days or something. It was very entertaining because it would be very frustrating to watch. I didn't see it myself. I was hearing, you know, the recap and hearing stuff on Twitter that all this was going on. So that wasn't really shown in the episode. Of course, they couldn't show much in the episode because it's, there's a lot to get in there tonight between the back door, the house meeting, the double eviction, you know, and all the comps. So we lost two big players tonight in Big Brother Canada. You know, Victoria, big player. You know, she she was great TV. She really was great TV. And she just, she was so sloppy. Her gameplay was so sloppy. And it caught up to her quickly. 
row, just a comp, just a comp winner. You know, that guy there, he was just so strong in competitions. And I really felt like he was just maybe close to where he was going to be able to slide through and move on. But he just, you know, of course, Kiefer's had it out for him for a while. They, that whole thing in the pantry, that's never been something that Kiefer's been able to get over, you know, and, uh, and then he was, of course, battling against the triangle. So, Roe has been very much, except for this week, because the target was on Victoria, but Roe has very much been on a win or go home for a while. So that's probably, I don't know if he could have gotten out of that spot or not, you know, but just such a strong player in this game. I really hate to see Roe go because uh, he's been so strong, but yeah, we are down to the final seven, Big Brother Canada nine. Really, I'm really enjoying this season. I really, really am. This is the most I've enjoyed a Big Brother season anywhere in the world. U.S., Canada, whatever, in a very long... Of course, that's the only two I watch. But this is the most I've enjoyed any Big Brother season in a while. So it's been very fun to watch. But we are down to the final seven. We will find out possibly tomorrow on the live feeds if whenever the competition is played we will find out who our next hoh is that is it for this week's episode of the podcast take care god bless thank you so much as always for listening have a great day Music.